You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Rays podcast and Ulysses. Today we have a very special guest, and that is one of the Rays' top prospects, depending on which outlet you look at. He may be the number one prospect, maybe the number two prospect. Regardless, he is uh, on a tear and, and fast rising throughout the baseball world. Curtis Mead. Curtis, thank you for joining us. And first off, how do you stay grounded amid all the, the articles and uh, podcast and blog posts that where your name just keeps popping up. How do you stay grounded through all that? Yeah, it definitely gets challenging at times. Um, you know, I definitely don't try and read too much into it because um, I don't want to get in that habit if I start not playing as well because then people might not have as as nice things to say. So just kind of look at bits and pieces. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool and special. But, you know, there's plenty of work still to be done. So. When when you hear the noise and you try to kind of, you know, not, you know, stick your head into it too much. Um, who are the people around you that that can still kind of give you crap and, and know you before you were a, a top prospect? Like, uh, who are the, those people that, that are keeping you grounded right now? Yeah, definitely a lot of people from home. So I went home this past off season, spent, you know, end of October to probably just two weeks ago. Um, back in Australia and, you know, I'm still the same guy. Last time I was home, I was still playing in the GCL. You know, I was with the Phillies and I was a, a rookie ball player, no no prospect status or nothing. So they definitely still give me a hard time. And, you know, I'm still still the same person back there. So it's cool to go home. That's great. What kind of fun stuff did you get to do in Australia that, that you hadn't done in a while? Uh, I played a lot of golf, caught up with a lot of different people, um, took my girlfriend home and we went traveling a bit. So saw, actually saw some different parts of Australia that I hadn't seen before, you know, some of the more touristy parts. So yeah, we had a really good time. So it was, it was really refreshing. Very cool. Is, is baseball since you return back to Australia, is it gaining a little bit more traction and in popularity back in Australia? I mean, since you've kind of become more of a, a public figure in the sport. Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely getting bigger, you know, and I think uh, some people in South Australia and Australia have kind of taken to my career and really enjoy watching. And, you know, it's pretty special being around. You know, it's funny, like in everyday world, like in Australia, people have no idea about baseball. But then when I do go to baseball events and stuff, um, just talking to some people, meeting some fans and stuff, it's yeah, it's really cool. And I think people are really starting to get behind the game and enjoy watching. You know, we're, we're talking about baseball, Australia. Obviously, the elephant in the room is that the World Baseball Classic is coming up. You know, I'm, I'm a big World Baseball Classic guy that the rosters for Venezuela were, were released. So I went completely fanboy, uh, obviously. But your name was not on the Australian roster. Um, can you talk about, you know, how difficult that decision was between you, the Rays, your family, your agent? And, uh, you know, obviously, you've represented Australia in the past, but... How difficult was that back and forth between you and the team? Yeah, you know, it was definitely not a decision uh, that I necessarily enjoyed. You know, I really wanted to play for Australia and represent my country and play with some of my really good friends. Um, you know, but it was just really bad timing for me in terms of the injury. My arm, it does feel awesome. I'm really happy with where I'm at, but uh, the Tampa medical staff felt like the best thing for my career was to play my first games. Um, 
in early March in St. Petersburg with the Rays as opposed to traveling to Japan and playing. So, you know, that uh, that was disappointing. But hopefully in the long run, it's the best for my career. And hopefully there's other opportunities to represent Australia. And I really look forward to them. Uh, the midway point of the NBA season is here. And now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because new customers get a no-sweat first bet for up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss to get your no sweat first bet for up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on, L O C K E D O N, to learn more. So be sure to make every moment more with Fanduel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. There should be plenty, you know, if, if it's in four years, you'll, you'll be practically in your prime at 26. So that, that should, that should be really fun. Now you, you did talk about the, the elbow injury. Can you kind of tell race fans about how that elbow injury happened? What the rehab process has looks like, um, since, since you got hurt and you know, how, how ready are you for spring training day number one? Yeah. So unfortunately at the end of last year, um, Kind of in the June, July period, I really what just happened was a bunch of overworking. So right after the All-Star break, you know, my elbow experienced some uh, soreness just after a lot of throwing, um, after one big big weekend of throwing. Uh, got an MRI, realized there was a, a partial tear in my UCL, which wasn't the best news. Uh, Try to rehab it without doing anything and, and just giving it some time. It didn't necessarily work. So then we uh, opted for a PRP injection. Um, took three months off. You know, it was kind of a long three months, not really doing anything. But then I got an MRI at the end of December and I was uh, clear. So I had no more tear in my UCL, had fully healed. Um, and then started the build-up process uh, in January. Started throwing in the 1st of January. Um, and now I'm back out to about 150 feet pain-free, so I feel really good. And I feel like when the games start rolling around, I'll be ready to roll. So I'm yeah, really pleased with how everything's going. Perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor, and you obviously know more about this, but UCL, partially torn, this sounds a lot like Tommy John, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely scary. I mean, I luckily it was such a small tear that I had, I'd seen a few doctors and no one had really ever told me to get surgery. Um, okay. So it was something that I, we always felt like we could avoid in terms of just not throwing and get the PRP injection and rest would do it good. And before I I started throwing uh, after just resting and I was out to about 120 feet before I felt it again. So I was was pretty close, I felt like. And then I felt with the injection just to help, help with the healing process and more time off, I, I did feel pretty confident that I was going to, you know, get back healthy. So pretty pleased with how it's going. Yeah, and speaking on that injury, Curtis, just what was the challenge of that for you mentally of of basically being taken off the baseball field and, and being limited and not being able to continue 
your career just sort of a, a stoppage in play, if you will, not being able to, to go out to the diamond every day with, with your teammates? Yeah, you know, it's super challenging. Uh, fortunately, I was actually able to stay in Durham with the team in AAA. So that was nice, but at the same time, even more challenging, you know, seeing the team that I would be playing on, uh, competing, having success, and ultimately winning the championship. So it was kind of bittersweet, you know. I would have loved to have been out there for the guys, but obviously super happy for them all. Um, so, yeah, it definitely was a tough period. Then to, then to go home to Australia and – you know, I just had to completely hit the reset button. I wasn't able to throw, hit, do anything, play golf, nothing. So I just kind of decided I was going to work hard in the gym and take it easy um, physically. Um, but, yeah, I'm really happy how, with how it's worked out and pleased that I had the patience to uh, to do not much. So how, how does how does that transition work where now now you can't you're, – you're in the clubhouse. That's awesome with the guys in the dugout. Obviously, it hurts, but how – do you start like going over more video? Do you go over more stats? I mean, how, how, how do you transition from, you know, doing your baseball related activities to just kind of like, you know, what do you do with your hands? Like, what do you do to spend the time? Yeah. So I actually got with, uh, one of the running coaches, uh, our strength and conditioning coach, you know, and they had told me that much, much to my, you know, I didn't enjoy it, but they said I could run as much as I wanted. Um, so <laughs> I spent a lot of time running and trying to get a little bit quicker. Um, when probably about a month, uh, uh, the month before the PRP injection, I worked on my hitting um, with a few of the hitting coaches there just to kind of tidy up a few things that I felt like I'd been uh, struggling a little bit with, with my transition to AAA. Um, but yeah, not much really. Just kind of listening to people, uh, asking questions. Uh, yeah, not a ton. <laughs> it was challenging. Yeah, and you mentioned running. Um, do you feel like you're faster through all that experience? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I did some testing from when I got back to Australia and when I left, and I got a little bit quicker. So I was pretty pleased with that. You know, there's definitely an aspect of my game I could always continue to improve, become more agile and stuff is always always a vital part of being an infielder so yeah i, I think so yeah and obviously you you were able to despite the injuries spend more time in durham and a larger taste of triple a this season compared to the previous season um just kind of having more of that experience now what do you see as as the biggest difference or challenge of going from double A AA to triple A? I, I don't know if it's the the speed of the game, if the pitchers are bringing more velocity and, and pinpoint accuracy. Just uh, that adjustment from double A AA to triple A for you. Uh, maybe a little bit of the speed of the game. You know, there's a little. Uh, the more you go up in the minor leagues, the more there is um, the enhancement on winning games. So there was definitely more of a like everyone wanted to win, they were teaching us how to win. You know, we were playing to win pretty much. Um, so I think the biggest adjustment for me was uh, relievers. You know, big moments would come up. I'd come up with people on base and I would see, you know, high-end quality right-handed relievers that I would ultimately face at the next level in the big leagues. So I, I had to get used to facing the best guys in the biggest situations. So... Uh, that was definitely a learning curve and, you know, understanding how those guys are going to attack me and my weaknesses. Um, so that was probably the most challenging thing where most of the time in double A, the best pitchers are your top prospect starters in double A. 
not not so much out of the bullpen. So, yeah, the the bullpen, you know, you'd see guys who you'd face who two nights ago they were in the big leagues pitching against the Rays or the Red Sox or whoever. So, you know, it was, right. that was pretty cool. Um, talking about that double A to triple A transition, I, I, I dove kind of uh, into the numbers uh, a little bit. There was a big jump when you went from double A to triple A on your line drive percentage. In double A, you were at 17.2%. And then in AAA, it clocked in at 40%. So was that something that was a conscious effort uh, that, that that brought that about? What, what was the adjustment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I honestly, if you look at face value, I, my AAA numbers weren't maybe as good as AA. But then when you dig in a little deeper, you know, I felt like I had more success in AAA than I did in AA. Um, yeah. And I'm not, not totally sure. Uh, maybe working with high level coaches, uh, being in playing with high level players. There wasn't necessarily one adjustment that caused that. I think one of the big things too is the umpiring was a little bit better. So, you know, maybe a pitch that might mm. end the at bat or change the at bat early in the at bat now goes your way. And, you know, I was getting better pitches to hit. So I definitely my swing decisions were better in triple A and I think I was rewarded a little bit more for that. So Yeah, and and last time you were on, on on the show, you talked about trying to just hit the ball hard and as much as you could to the center of the field. And again, when you look at the double A to triple A um, percentage points on on your your pull percentage decreased by eleven points when you went to triple A, yeah. you're starting to hit way more to the center of the field by fourteen points. So. Is this something that you also were trying to do or did it just happen because of all those external factors you just talked about? Yeah, I mean, it probably happened a little bit because of that, but uh, my approach hasn't really changed throughout the level. Um, I do usually try to stay to the center of the field. I like to give myself room for error. Um, I like to spin the ball with backspin, so I'm trying to, you know, if I elevate to the center of the field, that usually results in backspin. Um But yeah, there wasn't wasn't any any real adjustment there either. You know, probably swinging at better pitches, and when you do swing at better pitches, you put better swings on the ball. So, you know, yeah. Now, Curtis, kind of talking about your swing a little bit and, and your approach. Um, you know, if somebody goes and looks up a YouTube video of you, they'll see that your stance is very upright and tall. Um, where did that come from? Uh, initially and and why does that approach work for you that style work for you uh i'm not totally sure you know from a young age i always feel more comfortable being tall and adjusting down as opposed to being you know i'd always struggled maybe with a higher pitch so i'd always like to be as tall as possible to give myself the best chance up there and i'd always kind of hit really well uh pitches down in the zone um So yeah, it's just what's what's always felt comfortable. You know, I've always kind of had like a short, narrow stance as well. Um, but yeah, it's just something I've done from a young age that my dad probably really taught me. You know, so it's just kind of stuck, and it's how I feel the most comfortable. And when things aren't going right, I kind of default back to that if I've slowly crept away from it. So yeah. If if a race fan were to see a video of you, Curtis, in like grainy, you know, type of like. O2, like before high definition started, yeah. they might think that's Longo at the plate with his upright uh, stance. Ha has have people talked to you uh, about how that resemblance uh, uh, has kind of uh, happened? Yeah, definitely. You know, I've heard that a few times. Um, and I'm 
really honored to be put in the same conversation as Evan. Um, so yeah, that would be a pretty cool turnout if I turned out like him. So not, not necessarily from a young age, I copied him, but you know, it's definitely someone I watch now having a lot of similarities. So yeah. Yeah. I, th I think race fans would, would, would love that. Um, you know, the, you talked about being a traditional stats guy and that you were kind of making the, the transition to being a little bit more analytical and looking at other type of, of stats. How is that transition going for you? Are, are, are you, are you a little bit more comfortable with, with some of the new age type of stats? Uh, how are you grading yourself with this, these new stats? Yeah, no, it's definitely something I've continued to get better at and more comfortable with, uh, Lots of the hitting coordinators, when they come into town, you know, they'll break it down with us. And the, the, the batting average, the slugging percentage or whatever, none of that will even be on the page. You know, it's kind of really in-depth now. Um, and it makes me feel more comfortable. You know, as I said earlier, my AAA numbers in terms of those stats were better. But, you know, if you looked at face value and double you'd think I was doing better. Um, so it definitely helps, you know. I didn't wasn't hitting 300 in AAA, but I was my expected numbers were a lot better. So it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself, and you know, not not hitting the panic button and changing things when everything's actually doing pretty good. So yeah, following up on that, what are some of those stats that coaches and front office types are are giving the players first? Like these are the the top three, four, five stats that you should be looking at, or that they're giving to you as a hitter. Uh, probably the main one that they look at, well, main two is WOBA, so weighted on base percentage. Okay. Uh, uh, weighted on base average, sorry. Um, and expected WOBA, so then you've got an expected number as opposed to, so in AAA, my expected numbers were way higher than what my actual numbers were, so talking about being unlucky. Um, mm -hmm. And then weighted runs created WRC plus and expected WRC plus, so... Those two are the, probably the big ones. Are there any type of graphs with this information? Is is there video work associated with, with this information? Or is it just, hey, look, at these are the stats, and they kind of go through those stats with you guys? Uh, kind of just go through them. I mean, it's hard to put them into video per se. So it's kind of with with at least WIC Plus, the, the league average is 100. So it's very league-based. So, you know, if it's 120, you're 20% better than the league average. So it's kind of a good reflection of where you're at, at in comparison to the rest of the league. 